five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, related chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I'm bringing you a kidney warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from Birmingham, England, is Labour Party politician serving as the MP for Birmingham Perry Bar, Khalid Mahmood. Khalid Mahmood joins me today to share his inspirational kidney warrior story and the lessons he has learned along his kidney warrior journey. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. How are you doing today, Mr. Mahmood? Thank you very much. You can call me Khalid by all means. Uh, Please do that. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Khalid. Welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. It really is an honor to have you here on Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. As everyone knows, I love interviewing kidney warriors and hearing kidney warrior stories. And I really, truly do believe that there is so much that we can learn from people's lived experience. There's nothing like listening to somebody who's been there, done that, experienced it and has so much to share. So I really am excited to interview you you today. So thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you. My first question is, how did your kidney warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed? Well, I was diagnosed some 10 years before my kidneys actually went. I had a viral infection and they essentially ended up my lungs being full of water and I was diagnosed incorrectly by a GP and treated it as asthma and really what it did was continue to build up water in my body my ankles were swollen to a huge amount in the end I could literally just sit and then breathe I couldn't lie any further back so I walked into the surgery and said, look, you've got to send me to hospital. This is not working. And obviously, it's something other than asthma, which I've been prescribed for. And either you do that or I'm just going to walk into the A&E. It was Selly Oak Hospital at the time, which no longer exists. And I walked in there and the guy said, well, you walked in, you ain't going out anywhere. And so they obviously sorted out the infection, cleared the water of the lungs. And I was in for over two weeks there. But as part of the diagnosis, I developed cardiomyopathy as well as basically essentially perforated kidneys. Because the blood pressure was so high, essentially ended up perforating and the water content in my body was huge, ended up perforating my kidneys. And the consultants at the time said it'll take about 10 years for it to really affect. And literally to the month and the week, it was almost 10 months I went in to do another checkup. And they said, that's it. You know, you're going to be out. So from that day, we started looking at it. Ultimately, a couple of weeks later, they completely went. And so obviously, it was horrific trying to get it diagnosed at the time and getting it in. 
I had to be taken in an emergency to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital at the time, which didn't have an emergency service. So I was taken straight to the renal ward to be dealt with. And essentially, I was knocked out for two days, more or less. People came to see me, my mum, my sisters, my daughter, everybody came to see me. and literally had very little recollection of what was going on. And they inserted, obviously, the emergency tube down my neck decided to try to dialyze me. I didn't know what was going on. And essentially, after two days, I came to and realized that my kidneys had gone and that I had to be dependent on dialysis until it sorted itself out. And you will know as well as I do, fistulas then are the thing they try and run with. I had a number of, first of all, the uh, tubes coming in for dialysis before the fistulas obviously worked. A couple of bad experiences with some of those, and particularly on my left forearm, my fistula, that essentially didn't really work at all when it first started off. And then I went up to inside the elbow, and that was a good fistula that really worked for a long time. And then it got infected. And so literally they had to close that one down. And then I got another tube, obviously, to die that. So I had essentially dialysis tubes on both sides of my neck. And as you will know, the experience that is, and then trying to actually insert it through under the skin to sort of try and provide some sort of protection for the tubes as well in terms of hygiene and stuff. It was some experience. One of the doctors uh, essentially was tugging like a tug of war to get him through. And he says, you're so... I said, look, all I can do is relax and let you do what you do and get it through. They managed to do that. And, you know, they're all... People are there to try and support you as much as they can. But I think we've got to sometimes be patient as well in terms of it's difficult. It's very difficult. So there's a lot to unpack there. So yeah. you were given this initial incorrect diagnosis, which led to other conditions, which ultimately led mm. to your kidney failure and then was told that there would be about 10 years before your kidneys completely failed, which then went on to happen. So in that space of time between being told of the possibility of your kidneys failing and them actually failing, how was life in that period? Did you continue as normal? Were you afraid of your kidneys failing? What did you experience uh, in obviously, that time? Obviously, uh, I was very afraid of my kidneys failing, but also at the time you develop gout because your kidneys aren't functioning properly and therefore the build of the uric acid has a huge issue. And literally when you have gout, there's very little you can do, as you know, other than drink water. So if your kidneys aren't functioning very well, the more water you drink, <laughs> you know, vicious cycle, the worse it gets. So really, it was a very difficult balance. And so putting up with gout above all, there were other issues, but predominantly gout, I think, was really, really very difficult to deal with. But obviously, that happened. And as part of my initial issue, I also developed psoriasis, significantly severe psoriasis. I, at one time, I had 70% of my body covered in psoriasis as well. So as well as cardiomyopathy, which luckily and thankfully resolved itself, the heart managed to rebuild itself, and, and that was okay. If that hadn't been okay, I wouldn't have been able to have a transplant either. So as you know, because in order to have a transplant, you need a reasonably functioning heart and blood pressure. So you're able to survive the surgery that takes place. So luckily, that managed to resolve itself and went through that. And uh, we went for about three, 
possibly donors in the first instance, and they were friends of mine. And I was very blessed to get somebody who offered me their kidney, and it was a live donor, so it worked fantastically well. And you know, by now, by the grace of God, we're still doing well on that. Right. So again, rewinding back slightly, your kidneys then failed, and you went into dialysis and and you said about your experiences with fistulas having to have different ports in the neck and different ports in your arm that must have been very difficult and so how was the actual process of dialysis for you it's very difficult i'm a sort of reasonably heavy person in the first instance and unfortunately trying to get the water intake right and minimum as possible obviously because when you're dialyzing you have and that was a big issue for me. Obviously, the longer than you dialyze, the obviously difficult, the blood pressure gets low uh, and the difficulty comes. So uh, in the end, I opted to dialyze at home, which meant I could do it at a time for a slightly lesser period, but more frequently. So I ended up doing it four times a week. But also it gave me the freedom to continue working. So by having, and luckily we had a spare room that we could use and to be able to do that. That's very difficult for most people because unless you do that, if you're doing hemodialysis, but if you're doing paratonal dialysis, then that's slightly easier. But I just preferred to do hemodialysis because I thought that was a better way of resolving the issue. But different people different have different preferences and different ways to deal with that. And I think either is fine, but I ended up using hemodialysis at home, which really enabled me to do a lot of the work that I wanted to do. And so sometimes I would dialyze and a couple of hours afterwards, I had to go up and do some work, attend meetings and things. And I was lucky that I had support, people driving me, one or two people, friends came around and were able to assist me to drive, to take me to meetings and backwards and forwards. But, you know, it wasn't an easy process for me because when you dialyze, it took a lot out of you. You know, occasionally, if you get up quickly, you could fall. And that's, most people don't realize that. <laughs> and, and so I had to be ultra careful when I was getting up that I would try and slowly stand up, allow the body to adjust and then walk. And so these sort of things, only when you go through dialysis, you understand what the issues are. And as part of that also, I ended up with diabetes, which I have still now, type 2 diabetes. So I have to look after that as well. So there are always implications of that. But one of the saving graces because of the steroids that I was taking, I ended up getting rid of my psoriasis. Oh, okay. (laughs) So (laughs) I suppose it's a blessing in, in some sort because psoriasis, as you know, is also a very difficult issue to deal with. But luckily, because I, I went on to uh, my uh, steroids, that literally in days, it just stopped. And it was amazing to see that because I was literally, I would say, I was, over 70% of my body was covered in psoriasis. And whenever, wherever I was, I, whatever bed I was in, in the morning, there'd be a huge amount of skin <laughs> lying about everywhere, which is not very good. And the hospital was the same, obviously. But all of a sudden, since we got the steroids and the uh, stuff sorted out it stopped obviously because the immune system was slower so therefore regeneration of the skin which is what psoriasis is couldn't take place but that's one thing the advantage uh, i suppose that came through and secondly obviously because my kidney is now functioning a lot better i was able to get rid of the uh, this dreaded stuff with uric acid and managed to get rid of that that was really painful something that so i suppose in a way there was a blessing but the whole process is very very difficult to cope with and I think what you have to do is take strength, whether you take that from friends or you take that from your religion or whichever way you choose to do. And sometimes you have to do both of them. 
if you believe in something. If you don't, then that's fine as well. You have to understand who can support you and how you can be supported and to be able to talk to people to do that. And accept the fact, I think the biggest important thing in this, accept that you've lost your kidneys. I think that's the real key thing. You have to accept that it's gone and then trying to make amends to it. And, and that's, that's the only way forward, I suppose. It sounds like there were many challenges of being on dialysis, but also hidden benefits where, as you said, your psoriasis <laughs> cleared up and you were able to recover to the point where your heart was recovering yeah. as well. And also going from hemodialysis in center to home yeah. hemodialysis, which enabled you to continue working. So mm. dialysis had pluses and minuses alike. So you were on dialysis for six years in total, was it? Yeah, yes. And during this time, you began to look for a kidney donor. That's right. And so how was the process of finding a living kidney donor? Well, there were friends who offered, and I was very blessed that, again, these people offered. And it was really amazing, the fact that we found somebody. And this person was Sean Simon. He was a member of parliament and then became a member of the European Parliament. And unfortunately, no, well, fortunately for him, he's no longer in politics and he's doing other work and he's enjoying his family and everything else. So he's a great person and made a huge sacrifice in giving me his kidney. So I think we have to understand what that is. And if you go through the process of donation, literally, essentially, you think they're trying to stop you giving your kidney to anybody. And that's only right because they want to make sure that the person's doing it for the right reasons and there are no pressures. And also looking at consequences. Once you give one kidney away, that's all you got. And so you only got one kidney left. So whether your children might need something or somebody else might need one in the family. So it's a real brave step to take. But it does give people life. And I think there's an issue with that. And also, I just want to touch briefly on the donation card and everything else that comes through. Whilst it's been made, put into law now, there's a real problem with the donor card is the fact that unless you have discussed this issue seriously and thoroughly with your next of kin, they can refuse. So if you have a donor card, don't think that's the only thing that there is to it. But you've got to give the authorities the next of kin, discuss it with them, explain to them what's necessary, whatever you know, parts that you want to donate. But you must discuss that with your next of kin with your family and make it clear that whatever wishes you have. And of course, it's a huge thing to be able to allow somebody else to continue in life. I've got other people I've known who have donated, just generally donated a kidney to somebody that didn't even know. And so that's a wonderful thing to be able to do. But obviously, you have to take into consideration your health and how, how you're going to manage that. But certainly in terms of donor cards, I think they're fantastic things that we should look at. But unless we resolve the issue of next to kin, explaining to them, What's important, what's not. It doesn't quite work out the way we perceive sometimes. So it's important for people, really, when you carry a donor card, please, please, please make sure you discuss it with the family and the next kin. So going back to your transplant, how was the actual process of receiving the kidney for you? How was the operation? Oh, the operation was long. I've got a massive scar at the moment. And Part of the worst bit is you go through all that and you go through recovery, which takes a few days because it's a major operation and the anesthetic and everything else takes a major time. And what people need to understand is when you go for a transplant, particularly I had a live one luckily, but if somebody has a slightly longer weighted kidney, 
kidneys go to sleep. They're a bit lazy, a bit like me, I suppose. They're a bit lazy and they tend not to want to work. So until they have to be kick-started. So I waited about five days. And that was a terrifically difficult period. So you've had this transplant. And of course, you go through this with the psychologist, psychiatrist beforehand. And you do these things and you say, fine, I accept all that. But when you've had it and it doesn't work straight away, you think, gosh, what's happening? You know, is this going to work? Is this a waste of time? Whatever. But luckily, they tried to dial as me once in that process and it was okay. But luckily, a couple of days after, they had to increase my steroids to stop the body trying to fight it. And as soon as that happened, the whole thing then started working, thankfully, and it was okay. But people must realize it does take time. It can take up to two weeks sometimes when you go for a transplant for the kidney to work. And you've got to be able to accept that as part. And I wasn't told that at the time. The doctors told me as soon as when they came in. But beforehand, I wasn't told that. So I think those sort of things are important for people to realize that it doesn't happen straight away. It could happen straight away in some instances. It sometimes depends on what sort of balance of the steroids that you need to take in order to deal with that. And luckily, in the end, they had to give me a massive dose of steroids to be able to do that. And it worked. But then we went back to the normal. Obviously, then obviously you monitor your level of your steroids and stuff, and that can be done quite easily through clinic and to do that. So I think the biggest thing after that is recovery period. And I literally isolated myself for over 10 weeks. You should do 12 weeks at least. But I managed to completely isolate everybody. I had no visitors, nobody else. My mom was just about to be able to come and see my brother, brother, and that was it, essentially. So you have to be really, really strict during that period because that's where infections can set in and cause a real problem. So I think people must understand just having a transplant and doing that. And then you must be careful for a good period afterwards. And even then after that, hygiene is always good. And particularly if you're traveling abroad, please, please be very careful. Do not have anything with any local water in, even ice. It's going to be sealed bottled water wherever you go and make sure you obviously take enough of that. But anything that has cold water, whether it's salads, whether anything else that you want, do not do that. You can eat something that's freshly cooked and you can see it's been essentially more or less cooked hot off the cooker, essentially. I stood by that, and I think that served me well. So I think really we have to sort of really, once we're in that position of transplant, then we have to be really careful of the hygiene. And and you may think normal water is okay, but certainly I don't think it's good enough in some areas. I think Birmingham, we have fantastic water, and I did drink quite a bit of Birmingham water, but I think even London here that I come to, I'm very suspicious of the hard lime water that they have here, and I don't get used to it. So I prefer to take water. And I think that's really one of the key things is when you actually get your operation, you got your kidney into place, is that hygiene and looking at what sort of foods and what sort of particular type of water that you take in will affect you and the infections that arise from that. So really, if you want to keep that, it's a huge gift that you've been given by somebody. And really, you've got to protect it almost with your life. And that's the only thing I can say to people. So that must have been really scary having that five-day wait before your transplanted kidney actually worked. And it is an important point for people to know because I think sometimes people think you have your transplant, bam, you know, everything's fixed and everything's ready to go. But as you rightly said, it can take up to two weeks for a transplanted kidney Mm -hmm. to start functioning. So I think that really is an important point to highlight there. So. For you, what 
difference has your kidney transplant made to your life and your quality of life? Phenomenal, phenomenal in terms of my quality of life. I'm virtually back to normal. Obviously, as I said, I think I have a responsibility on me to take care of my hygiene and health and safety, particularly from infections that, that could arise. Touch wood, I haven't had an infection, serious infection yet. And that's been almost eight years that I've had a kidney. But that's your responsibility. You've got to do that. And nobody else can do that for you. And I think that's the key thing. But, you know, it's a huge gift and it does bring you back to normal, essentially, which is once you've been through that dialysis, you appreciate what that difference is. It's phenomenal. And I think you've got to take it easy. You've got to take a step. And I think I've not tried to diet too much. I've also tried to control some of my food because of my sugars and everything else. And that's important to do that. But I think the key thing is drink enough water, but eat the right food. Sensible food, sensible portions of food are good. And therefore, it balances everything out. So I think some of the ways that certainly different habits in terms of type of the foods you have, the spices you have, and then also with additional amount of alcohol doesn't really help, I don't think. But, you know, it's your life and you'd be granted this. And the more sensible we are in doing that, looking after that gifts that we've got, the better it is for us. And it's, you appreciate the gifts the person has given it to you as well. So it's made a, a massive difference to your life. And it, and it is wonderful to hear what that precious gift that you were given has made mm. to your life. So you've actually shared some advice as we've spoken, but I'd like to ask you, what advice would you give to somebody who's just been diagnosed with kidney disease, someone at the very beginning of their journey? That's a huge shock. And I think also the question popped in your head, why me? Why couldn't it be somebody else? Why? What happened to me? Why did I get this? I've got two kidneys. Why did they both go? And some insist most people live with one kidney, as you know, not all both kidneys function, not both the kidneys function equally. So also variations that are there. But it happens, and that's the way life is. And I think what you've got to do is take the strides that you want to to ensure that it doesn't become a disability to you. It becomes something that you have to manage, something you have to deal with, and accept the fact that it's happened. I always talk to people, I said, I, I got solace from my religion, I got solace from friends, and those things are important. Talk to people. Explain to them your feelings, explain the issues that you're going through, and get support, but accept that it's gone. Accept that you want to deal with it, and accept that how are the best ways to deal with it. So I think the key thing is, if you don't accept it, then you will end up, and I know that one or two people I've met who are not very happy, and I try to speak to them, to explain to them that this is one of those things that happens. You know, other people end up with heart attacks, which are much worse sometimes. So, you know, these things happen to all of us, and perhaps at least we've got a chance, if a kidney goes, to be able to try and rectify that reasonably well, to be able to deal with that. So, you know, it's a difficult issue to deal with. But acceptance is the key to all this. And then trying to talk and reaching support and comfort in the position that you're in is really important. And certainly those people that may not have that close support, there are people who can provide that support. If you ask your dialysis team, ask the people, people will come and speak to you and do that. So that's really important. So speaking to the men, because men are notoriously... <laughs> bad yeah. at getting themselves checked out and seeking medical yeah. advice. So I'd like you to now give some advice, speak to the men in terms of taking care of their kidney health. 
Well, I mean, that's the problem. And I, and I probably have been a typical man as well, trying to think that you can, uh, oh, I don't need to go and see that. But I think in terms of my kidney appointments, I don't miss those because they're vital. In terms of my diabetes, I try to do what I can in relation to that. But trying to take general care is the key thing. I think, you know, they've got lots of medication these days. They can do lots of things to support you. But let's not get to that position. That's the key thing. Let's not use those. Because every single medication that you take has some sort of an effect on you. So please not try to do too much of that. Try not to think that you can ride this. This isn't a competition of how macho you are or, or whatever you think you are. This is an issue of health. And no matter how big and how bad you think you are, you're not big and bad enough to tackle that. And so you have to do it properly. Take the precautions that are necessary. Take the medications that's there. Get the regular checkups to understand which way your kidney function is going and deal with that properly. That's the only way to deal with it. If you don't do that, then essentially you're letting yourself down and, and the kidney itself is wrong. Now, the statistics show that black and Asian people are five times more likely to develop kidney disease. And so I'd like you to give some encouragement to the Asian community in terms of taking care of their kidney health. Well, look, it's really important uh, to do that for everybody. I think sometimes the diet doesn't help. Sometimes whether it's excessive alcohol or whatever else and some things, that you tablets that you might take. One big thing I would say to people, is please stay off the strong painkillers. The biggest effect that kidneys are affected by are strong painkillers. So paracetamol is about the limit. Unless you're really, really desperate, please do not take strong painkillers because lots of people rely on very heavy painkillers. If you've got an issue, rather than take painkillers, go to the doctor and get it sorted out because invariably the longer you take real strong painkillers, the big effect, it will have on your kidney. And that's really, really important for us, for us to be able to do that. And I think one of the things is that do predominantly Asian people do take quite significant amount of painkillers because the, sometimes the body is not used to it, although we've been here for more than 70 years, some of us almost 100 years, but in the UK. But you still have some of those genes which are different to the indigenous community. And therefore, both for BME or Black or Asian communities, all of us have a different issue to deal with. And we've got to be a bit more responsible in relation to that. But painkillers, I think, is a single big thing if we are to stop using them. If you have a problem, please don't persist in taking them. Go to your doctor and see what the issue is and resolve it that way. Painkillers will cause you a lot of problems. Excellent advice. Thank you so much. Are there any myths about kidney disease that you would like to debunk? Well, one, I think, key thing, uh, certainly there has been in the Muslim community, is that, is it right to do that? I've taken some advice and stuff, and there is no reason why you can't take a transplant organ. As long as you're not selling it, as long as you're not buying it, as long as you're not causing harm to that individual or their lives or their livelihoods then if it's done in a proper, sought-out way, through the proper procedures, through the proper support from the medical professionals that you have, then you can do that. But please, there is no obstacles to that. And it's up to you to deal with this. And I will also say we need a lot more people from both the Black and the Asian community to carry donor cards 
speak to your families, please, because sometimes it's easier to get the uh, kidneys from the same community and other organs. Liver is one of those. We have problems with lungs, liver, heart, eyes. So there's a huge amount of donation that you can do. And at the end of the day, if that makes benefit for somebody's life, that can't be wrong in religion. And I think that's what this is about. And so please understand what you're trying to do, understand the benefits of that, but do it within the right limits. You know, there might be clinics abroad where you can go and pay and do these sort of things. Please don't do that. Please do it properly because sometimes the aftercare is a huge problem. I have known people who've gone to Pakistan in this instance and India who've come back and have had huge issues with infections and unfortunately uh, haven't then succeeded because of the infections they gained, perhaps through surgery or straight away after the surgery. So when people think that's an easy way, please it's not. So do it properly, do it and make sure. The one way you can do it is speak to your family and say, look, you know, hopefully I'll get one. But if you donate your kidney to somebody else, it'll make a huge difference in life. I mean, if you look at in the last 20 years, the increase of kidney disease and kidney failures is phenomenal. You know, it's something like more than 100% increase over the, over the last few years. And it continues to rise because we're not prepared to look at the whole issue and deal with it. And I think organ donation is one way to deal with this. But please, let's, let's not get there, but support everybody and look at and talk through the issues of organ donations with your families. It's no good just carrying a card if you haven't got people on board. And so they understand what your wishes are and that, how that can be compliant. Absolutely important to share your wishes with your loved ones because, like you said, even if you carry a card, if your family aren't on board, they can actually refuse yeah. it after you've passed. So thank you again. Excellent advice. Mm. My final question is, what final word of encouragement do you have for the listeners? The final word of encouragement for listeners is please take care of yourself, take care of your health, particularly in terms of kidneys. And painkillers are the biggest enemy for kidneys. So please don't persist in taking painkillers. If you have an issue, go and see your doctor. Nothing, you shouldn't need anything more than a paracetamol. If you've got persistent pain, then go and see somebody and use that, please. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so, so much for joining me and for sharing your story, your experience and for so much amazing advice. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for all the great work you do. And I think the work that you do, getting this information across to people is absolutely phenomenal. So thank you for all the fantastic work they do and long may it continue. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Sharing faith knowledge, hope, and love.